I'm Scott Kahn, and this is a special episode of the Orthodox Conundrum, the Tfilot of the Amim Noraim, starting from Slichot, which Ashkenazim begins saying this Saturday night, all the way through Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, are deep and meaningful, but also long and quite hard to understand. But that difficulty is minor compared with the theological problem of how to relate to God when our prayers go unanswered, when He seems to have abandoned us, when rather than a divine nod of approval, we feel like we're getting God's cold shoulder. This is a topic which I've discussed over the past two weeks in my substack, Orthodox Conundrum Commentary, but it's an issue that everyone must confront at one point or another. To that end, I spoke with Rebecca Sarkey, a high school principal living in Johannesburg. Right before Tisha B'Av, her son Chaim tragically passed away. Despite their intense tefillot and mitzvah observance, God still said no. Rebecca decided that she wants to address what happened and describe the ways that a person can maintain faith in the face of unthinkable tragedy. She does not provide answers. Instead, she simply talks about her and her family's experience. She mentions the importance of prayer despite the possibility of God saying no. She describes the need to cherish every moment and to live fully in every moment. She advocates going outside of yourself and reaching out to someone else. No, none of these are answers. Instead, they're lessons that can hopefully help us gain proper perspective as we go towards the end of Elul and begin the countdown to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Rebecca Sarki was born in London and made Aliyah at the age of 12, living just outside of Netanya. She now lives in Johannesburg and is a wife, the mother of six children, and numerous grandchildren. She is passionate about Jewish education, specifically about helping teenagers reach their potential. I was honored to be able to speak to her about her very personal situation in this short but hopefully meaningful episode of The Orthodox Conundrum. Rebecca Sarkey, thank you very much for joining me today on The Orthodox Conundrum podcast. A pleasure. Thanks for having me. This episode is somewhat atypical for me. The Orthodox Conundrum podcast often deals with issues in the Orthodox community, and this is not about that. The genesis of this particular episode, Rebecca, is that my son, Netanel, is currently a Madrid counselor in a camp in South Africa for a few weeks, and he's reporting back to us about various experiences. And after you spoke to the group, he was raving more than any other speech that he's heard, more than any other talk that he's participated in. And he told me that we have to have you on the podcast before Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur in order to give people inspiration, even in the face of some very difficult events. So with that, I'm going to throw the door open to you to please begin telling your story. Okay. So um, again, thanks for having me. Our story is took place it started about seven weeks ago we thank god have six children and our oldest son chaim um got a headache he is a father of was at the time a father of two sons subsequently three sons and he got a headache chaim has worked for many 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 years volunteered for hatzala done many calls um in fact 1800 calls we heard afterwards interestingly um, and he wasn't feeling well. He couldn't come right with his headache. He asked his wife to call Hatzala and bring um, advanced life support when they did so to the house. They took him. He, he was very specific about what hospital he needed to get to, knowing that something was very wrong. And it sort of went downhill from there. Um, within minute, well, within an hour of arriving at the hospital, 
They told us he had a slight bleed on his brain. So this was from being absolutely fine to getting to this point. They admitted him into the neurological ICU, um, told us it could wait until the morning. It wasn't an emergency. Three minutes later, he crashed. He was put on a ventilator. A shunt was put into his head. And they told us if he made it through the night, it would be a miracle. And so we did what we know what how to do. We started davening and saying till him and begging the world to help us. Friends, family, we opened up groups within seconds. One particular group had over a thousand people. It was full. We opened another group. And that way we were sure that we had to heal him being said 24 hours a day around the world, different continents. The next day they told us they needed, he made it through the night, Mama Shanae, it was a miracle. And then they said he needed a specific op procedure done. It was life-threatening. If they didn't do it, he would pass away. If they did do it, potentially he would pass away. The doctor then explained to us that uh, it would take, if if all went well, it would be five weeks in ICU and then more recovery, at which point I told the doctor, we don't have five weeks. His wife, my daughter, Noliat, is expecting their third child and Chaim has to be there. Like this kind of isn't negotiable. He most probably looked at me as if you're a foolish woman to not get what's going on here. Your son is not well. But he did say to us there and then, I was holding a, a Tanya, a bad book, and he said, I see you are people of the book. Uh, may I suggest you keep on praying? That's what's going to get you through this. They did the procedure. Thank God Chaim came through it. He was still sedated and on a ventilator. They told us the next seven days were critical. Up until the end of day seven, he made it through those critical days. End of day seven was not great. Things started going wrong. We increased in artillery, we increased in tzedakah, we increased in mitzvahs, we increased in learning. There was nothing as a human being that we were not doing sure that that was what Hashem wanted from us and likewise our friends and family around the world and people who didn't know us. So it went on this um, journey of hell, I'm going to call it, for 18 days. Um, Chaim never regained consciousness. He was eventually, with a lot of other scans, more davening, minyanim, shi'urim, you name it, we did it. Uh, my boys would be running up and down the hospital putting tefillin on the Jewish patients. We pulled out all the stops and we believed. We firmly, absolutely believed. If Hashem wants this, we'll give it to him. And sadly, on the 18th day, they told us, unfortunately, that Chaim was brain dead. He was not going to be coming back to us in the way that we knew it. And um, he then passed away. When that happened, I sent a post on the Tehillim groups to tell everyone that Chaim had passed away. And I wanted to thank everyone. I wanted to thank them for the davening, for the Tehillim, for the mitzvahs, for whatever they did. And I wanted to reassure them that none of it was done in vain. And that just like a father sometimes says no to a child, Hashem said no to us as a family this time, not because he didn't hear the tefillahs, the prayers, and not because he didn't see the mitzvahs or hear the tilim. He heard every single one. 
And I said, I do believe that each one of those created a, a carriage that escorted Chaim back on high to Gan Eden. But it wasn't the outcome we wanted. We're limited, finite human beings. It definitely wasn't what we wanted. But I, wanted, I didn't want people to be disappointed. I didn't want people to stop davening. That they would feel that when your prayers aren't heard, it means Hashem hasn't heard. But definitely that is not our, our message as a family. Our message as a family is we are devastated. We are heartbroken. We finished sitting Shiva Erev Tishabav. We Chabad custom put up the Matseva two days later. And then three days later, Chaim's baby, his son, our newest grandson was born, who was named Ariel Chaim Sholem, after our son, Ariel being another name for the Beit HaMikdash, and it's the month, it was the month of Av. And we as a family have chosen life. We've chosen to live. We understand that you don't get to choose what you get in life. You get to choose how you respond to what you get in life. And Chaim was a Baal Chesed, worked for many, many years for Hatzalah, did tremendous chesed within the Jewish community. And we want to perpetuate that. We believe that Hashem runs the world. We believe that we don't understand it. I firmly believe that we don't get the picture. It's like a tapestry. We see the back of the tapestry, all the wall, all intertwined, a big balagan. Hashem sees the real picture. So... I do believe that everything does is good. I wish ourselves and other people that it should be sweet. We should see the goodness because we don't always see the goodness. When you see a, a young mother of 30, a widow with three young children, giving birth on her own without a husband who was perfectly well up until this happened, it's hard. It's very hard. But again, that's where Muna comes in. If we do genuinely believe Hashem runs the world, and I do, then we carry on. And that's kind of the story in a nutshell, where we're at at the moment. Thank you, Rebecca, for your forthrightness and honesty. Obviously, it's still very raw for you. How is it that you're able to find that strength in Amuna, even so close to the tragic occurrences that took place? Meaning, we all hope to have a certain degree of faith or a large degree of faith and trust in Hashem. At the same time, for many people, I'm sure people listening, there are times we feel that Hashem is abandoning us. There's a time we feel that even though we may believe in Hashem, we feel that His no is not simply part of a tapestry of a bigger picture that's good. There are times we might believe that, but to internalize that, it just feels like total abandonment at certain points. Perhaps this isn't a fair question, but how have you been able to move forward with the choice to look at this as part of a tapestry of goodness rather than an example of a Tishabov where Hashem's absence is that which we feel? So I think that's a Munna. I'm a, 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 I've just come from speaking somewhere else and I was telling the people, a, I gave them an analogy of a young boy who was playing on the shore of the, of the sea with his friend. And he got up from playing with his friends and he stood by the water and he saw that in the distance there was a cruise liner. He started waving frantically at the cruise liner and an elderly man on the beach walked over to him and said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm waving at the cruise liner. And the guy said to him, don't wave at the cruise liner. So far out, nobody can see you. Stop wasting your time. Go back and play with your friends. You're better off doing that. And the boy continued. 
And eventually the man got quite frustrated. He said, but you're wasting your time. He said, no, you're wrong. You see, on that cruise liner, my father is the captain of the ship. He knows I'm standing here on the beachfront. And in fact, if you look carefully, you'll see he's waving at me. That's why I'm waving back. And that's the same with Hashem. And I firmly believe, and I don't know how. I wish, Scott, I could tell you how. And maybe this is from all the devastation and the hardness that we've gone through. And we are still going through because this is not over. This is an ongoing story because, thank God, we have three grandsons and a, from this son and a, a daughter-in-law. And it's a life change. But I firmly believe that Hashem runs the world. We saw miracles within the journey of Chaim. We didn't see the miracle we wanted of a refuah shleim, of him being well. But I know, I know in my heart that Hashem is in charge because if he isn't and he doesn't run this world, then for sure none of this can make any sense. But if I try and hold on to my belief, at least it gives me a bit of clarity. Now, that doesn't mean I always get what I want because we definitely didn't. This is not what we wanted. But, but I firmly, firmly believe that Hashem is holding us. I believe he's giving us the strength to move forward. I know that Chaim would want that. And I know that he, Hashem is directing us. And I do believe it. And that doesn't mean there aren't hard days. And it doesn't mean that we sleep well at night. And it doesn't mean that I don't cry when I walk into my son's house. But it means that we choose life because we know Hashem runs the world. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. It sounds like a very difficult thing for anyone to process. I'm not sure it's easy. I'm, I'm sure it's not easy, I should say, for anyone even listening, never mind for you and your family. But it's obviously very inspiring to hear that. What was it like at the bris for your grandson, if I can ask that very personal question? This took place less than two weeks after you had lost your son. Obviously, this was a confluence of opposites, a paradoxical type of experience where his own son is being named after his father only days after he was he was nifter. What was that experience like for you and your family? So we come from a really big community. The funeral of our late son, Chaim, was, was apparently the biggest funeral in Johannesburg, just so you get an idea of what went on here. The bris we kept for immediate family, for obvious reasons. Chaim and Liat, his wife, had decided on a name for this baby. And um, after he was Nifta, I said to Liat, I, you must do what you need to do. This is your baby. And you must name him whatever you want. I didn't want her to feel that she needed to name after Chaim. That's a very hard thing to have to do. And the morning of the bris, when I arrived at the house, where we were, her house where we were doing it, she said to me, Safdi, can, can I tell you what I've decided to name the baby? And I said, yeah. And she said, Ariel Chaim Sholem, and let me explain why. And she explained why. And that most probably was one of the most painful, one of the most painful moments, because it couldn't, it just didn't make sense that this child was being named for his father, who had just passed away, didn't make sense. And as the bris started, and remember, it was only family, so everyone, they didn't know what the name was going to be, but everyone was already not in a good space. And it's interesting because then once the bris happened and, and he was named like this, we call him Ariel, we do not call him Chaim, we call him Ariel, um, it's brought a lot of comfort. 
brought a lot of comfort. And, and our Rob explained that um, by naming, God forbid, after parents, please God, no one should have to do that. It's the highest level of being able to fulfill the mitzvah of kibbutz Ava'im, honoring your parents. And it brings a part of their neshama back into the world. So I definitely am eternally grateful to my daughter and all that she could do this and definitely found that to be comforting. Definitely, definitely comforting. Rebecca, we're now approaching, for Ashkenazim at least, the beginning of Slichot, which begins this Motei Shabbat. Obviously, when we get into the themes of the Amim Noraim, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the ideas of who will live and who will die, those words obviously are ringing very strongly for you and your family this year in ways that perhaps it couldn't have in the past. I'm wondering if you could give a message to everybody listening of ways to think about this in a way that is meaningful, in a way that will do Chaim's memory honor. I think that's a brilliant question. Um, I was just talking about it. You know, it's interesting because I recall very clearly last year, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, we, we dabbed in the same shul as our kids. And um, Chaim would go out to check on his children, make sure everyone was okay. Often would call me, we'd have a quick word, and then we'd get back to our davening. And I thought to myself, I wonder, if he had known what was in store this year, would he have done anything different? And Barak, we, we were blessed that he was such an amazing human being. Um, I don't think he would have done things differently, which taught me something. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Hashem knows. And Hakol Yachol, he can do whatever he wants when he wants it. We know that. But I think my message and what I learned from this is we have to live for the moment and in the moment. We don't know when our last moment is. So therefore, we have to do the best we can possibly do. So so I want to add to that, that uh, the day that Chaim took ill was the first day of our winter holiday here. And an ex-student of mine called me and she said, you know, Mara, they called me Mara. She said, you know, Mara, I was dropping my kids off at camp this morning, Afghanistan, and I just opened the car door and I let them run inside and I said, goodbye, have a good day. And I happened to look out my rear view mirror and I saw Chaim behind me. And he had stopped the car and he had parked and he took out Levi and Nidan from the car and he was holding their hands and talking to them and engaged with them as he was walking in. And I thought to myself, you know what? i got to live in the moment, she tells me. So important. What's more important than dropping your kids at camp and talking to them? And she said she decided that from now on she was going to make more of an effort in terms of things like that. And she said it was heartwarming for her to see. So I said, well, let me end that story for you. Let me tell you the end of the story. But when you saw Chaim taking Levi and Nidan into camp and engaging with them, that was the last time he ever saw them. And that was the last time they saw their father. And I am comforted to know that that is the last time. So mi yechye or mi yomos, we have no idea. We only know what we can do. And I would say, do your best and do your best in the moment and don't compare yourself to anyone else. It's not about anyone else. It's about me. Am I the best me that I can be? And it's not easy. We have good days and we have not good days. But it's putting in that effort. That, for me, would be the answer. Okay, thank you for that, Rebecca. I want to ask you, perhaps this is a strange question, but the only reason that we're talking now and it's so soon after these events took place, 
because you spoke a couple of weeks ago to a group, including my son, which means that immediately after everything happened, you were out there right away speaking to groups and trying to inspire people. Why did you decide to do it right away? Not that doing it later would mean anything different, but on some level, it's almost like it's so raw right now. Is that a deliberate decision on your part? Is it therapeutic for you to talk about it? Or is it something that you're doing in spite of the fact that it's so difficult for you? So um, I've been in Chinuch for the last 39 years, something I'm passionate about, changing lives. Um, it happens when Netanel is, is doing this camp or whatever, these workshops, the person running it, Dan, contacted me and asked me if I could come and speak. If, if I felt I could, it wasn't too early. I said yes. I said to him on Friday, because I've subsequently spoken in quite a few places, and I said to him, Dan, no one thing. This is a selfish speaking. He said, what do you mean? I said, because I'm speaking for myself and to myself. It makes me feel better. The fact that other people are listening and hopefully walk away with a message, that's good. Nothing should just happen, Stam. But I said, the truth is, if I'm honest, it's for me. And he said to me, don't use the word selfish. Use the words dual purpose. You're benefiting and the kids are benefiting. So I think... Yes, I felt ready in the sense that we'll never be ready. We're never, till Mashiach, we're not getting our son back. But if I can help people see life a little bit different or make life a little bit easier for them because they'll understand maybe a bit better that we're not in control because we think we are, then yeah, then, then I'm happy that I started talking as quickly as I did. Can you tell me a little bit about who Chaim was? Because we've been speaking about the end of his life. What about his life itself? Who was he as a person? So Chaim was the most unbelievable son, father, son-in-law, grandson. He um, came into this world weighing just over a kilo. He fought his way into this world. And interestingly, Scott, he fought his way out of the world. In other words, he fought to stay in the world, even at the end. He was a Baal Chesed, as I said, he was a volunteer for Atzola. He, he was the type of guy who, he had done a call to our, we have in Johannesburg a place called Arcadia. It's a children's home um, where children come from dysfunctional families, God forbid, have lost a parent. And in this country, it's really important in, Johannesburg, in South Africa to have private medical insurance. The government one is not necessarily as good. And Chaim did a call there and saw that these kids have, do not have private private medical insurance. They are with the government. And it pained him. It pained him so intensely that he made a plan and he ensured that every single one of those kids was put onto a private medical insurance so they could go to private hospitals. But he didn't talk about it. I kind of, he sort of mentioned something, but he didn't go into details. But where after he passed away, we received a letter from this home explaining exactly what he had done. He was the kind of Hatsola responder that when he took in an elderly person to the hospital, he would sit with them because they had no family. He would say, Vidui, and he would wait with them instead of running back to the next call or whatever. But he volunteered for Hatsola. He has his primary concern in life. The most important thing to him was his family. So he would be on call like late Friday night when everyone had gone to bed. He actually gave up Hatsola for a while because he didn't want it to interfere with his kids. Couldn't stay away from it because he was such a Baal Chesed. 
and went back to went back to it on a different base on a different level. Um, he he gave he was a big. My sons have a business. One of their businesses is billboards, outdoor advertising. Unbeknown, he would do the advertising for many many communities and businesses. God forbid, cancer community um, organizations and other Jewish organizations for free. We didn't know about. He was a person who was here to bring Mashiach and to fix the world. And that's exactly what he did. He was the guy who went over to speak to the person standing on their own because he realized that they were on their own. He didn't have to go and speak to his whole group of friends at that point. He was just a really good person, an amazing husband, an unbelievable father, and a wonderful son and sibling. As a final message for everybody as we close right now, Again, we're getting close to the beginning of Slichot, to the Amim no Ra'im. Just a final message you could leave everybody with. You want to summarize what we talked about today, something you want people to take away from both Chaim's life and the message that you're trying to impart to people when you're speaking to these groups. What would you want to tell our listeners today? I think if we connect it to Elo and Ani Ladoidi Vadoidi Li, the beginning of that is Ani I. And I think in these months when we know that Hamelach Basadeh, the king is in the field, Hashem has come out to us. He wants Ani, he wants I, he wants us to step forward and start the relationship with him. I would suggest, based on, on the life that Chaim lived and what we want to perpetuate, is let it be something like an act of goodness and kindness, a smile, a hello to someone, a little bit of extra tzedakah, something for your fellow man. Don't take on everything, you're not going to do it. It's not sustainable. Start with small steps, just like Chaim used to do. And I do believe, I do believe that Hashem loves Avat Yisrael. He loves it when he sees we genuinely care for a fellow Jew. That is how Chaim lived his life. And I do believe that that is one of the most important messages coming into Rosh Hashanah. I really do. Go out of yourself and reach out to someone else. I can't imagine a more important message than go out of yourself and reach out to somebody else as we enter the time of Slichot. Rebecca Sarki, I'm so honored that you joined us today and shared your heart with us. Obviously, this is a very, very difficult topic, but people need inspiration. People need to know about people like you and about Chaim as we go into the Chagim. So I appreciate your sharing your heart with us today. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please visit jewishcoffeehouse.com for other episodes of The Orthodox Conundrum, as well as many other great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Maimonides Minute, Chochmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, and Let My People Eat. I'd appreciate it if you go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes. It's just giving a certain number of stars and writing one or two sentences. Please like The Orthodox Conundrum Podcast on Facebook and join our growing Facebook group, The Orthodox Conundrum Discussion Group, where you can feel free to discuss issues in orthodoxy in an honest and friendly environment. I hope you'll become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers, and you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest orthodoxy. Just join Patreon. It's only a couple of dollars a month, and you can stop anytime, so join today. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to promote your business, your organization, or your cause? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffee House can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for satisfied clients. 
whether you want to learn everything you need in one day, or relax and record and let me do the heavy lifting, Jewish Coffeehouse Productions will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let me help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jewishcoffeehouse.com, click on Productions, and sign up for a free consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage an audience now. I'm Scott Kahn. This has been the Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com. <laughs>